Do you remember where we are in Proverbs without looking at the notes? Yeah, neither could I. So um, uh, Proverbs chapter 4 is where we're at if you want to turn back there. And uh, this is, uh, we're going to stumble across one of my favorite verses in Proverbs. And um, have you ever done this before? You you, you have a verse, right? You have a favorite verse or a verse that you've... uh, appreciated over the years and 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 you know you maybe you, it's one of those things that you quote and, and you've just gained from and then and then one day you actually study it um, or you hear a sermon about it or a Sunday school lesson about it and you realize that the verse doesn't exactly mean what you have always thought it to mean have you ever had one of those experiences it's it's um it's both frustrating and wonderful uh, it's frustrating because you go, oh no, all these years I thought it meant this and it means this other thing. It's wonderful because we never exhaust the riches of God's word. There's always something to learn and there's always something to gain. And so we're going to come, uh, if you're, especially if you're a biblical counselor or if you've taken those courses, uh, you know the verse I'm talking about. And uh, we're going to see that it doesn't quite mean exactly what we've been taught it to mean, at least in terms of the picture. The, the, the main point is the same, but uh, we'll get there. So Proverbs chapter 4 uh, is where we're at, and we're going to look at verses 20 to 27. We'll finish off the chapter, believe it or not. And um, you'll, you'll remember, um, as, as you're, you're turning to Proverbs 4, you remember um, that, that famous passage in Romans chapter 6 that talks about how when we come to Christ, we are united with him in his death and in his burial and in his resurrection, and, and uh, you remember that. And uh, you know we're no longer slaves to sin. We've been raised to walk in newness of life. And, and then, and then uh, the apostle Paul says, "So then, um, don't keep presenting the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness." But now, because you've been united to Christ and, and you're a new creature, you're, you're a new person. Now, use the members of your body. For righteousness, and he begins to spell that out, and 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 really, that's that's one of the first steps you take in your faith, is you say, okay, I became a Christian, and I'm a new creature. What now? And and have you noticed this? With some people, sanctification is more initially dramatic. You know, the 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 drug dealer that comes to Christ, or the you know the axe murderer that comes to Christ, and his life is completely changed. Um, and, and then I think for most of us, though, sanctification is not as dramatic. It's not as, you know, uh, front-loaded in that sense. Um, but we have to actually learn what does it mean to walk with God as a Christian. And, and one of the ways, I think the reason Romans 6 is there, and it's the thing that he mentions, is we have to learn how do we use this life, our body, our talents, our gifts, uh, all of life, how do we use that in service to God and to grow into the image of Christ? And, um, of course, uh, Solomon did not have the benefit of Paul's teaching, and he didn't even have the benefit of the fullness of the gospel like we do. But I want you to see how what we're going to look at today in Proverbs chapter 4, it really is the exact same message, and that is, how do you pursue a life, how do you um, think about using your body, your life, for righteousness. Now remember, this is a parenting book, right? So this is a book, as we're training our children, we're training our children, you know, God gave you this life, he gave you this body to honor him, how do you do that? And uh, so the title of the message today is From Head to Toe, and you'll see where this comes as as Solomon puts this together in a very uh, organized fashion. Um, 
pursuing righteousness from head to toe, pursuing righteousness in all of your life as a believer. And um, I almost didn't give you an outline today. I almost just gave you a blank page because we're going to draw a picture today. This is one of those one of those verses. As you read it, at least for me, as I'm reading it. I'm, I'm building a, an image. I'm building a diagram or a picture in my head. And it's really interesting to see the connections. I think sometimes you can see the connections easier by drawing it out like that. So you'll have to um, put up with my obsessive compulsive drawing disorder today. So uh, Proverbs chapter 4, let's pick it up and we'll just read the section and then we'll, uh, we'll begin starting at verse 20. My son, give attention to my words and incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. And if you are paying attention, did you hear all the body parts in that section? He starts with the head and he moves down to the feet. It's as if he's saying, son, if you're going to walk with God, you need to walk with God from head to toe, with all of your life, with all of your body. And of course, you'll see how the eyes, the ears, the feet, the body that he mentions, you'll see how that actually is very purposeful in his admonition to his sons. But I think even in a collective sense, what's his point? His point is you don't pursue God halfway. You can't say, I'm going to commit half my life to God and the rest of it is mine. You can't do that. What he's saying to his son is a walk with God is a call to take your whole life and commit it to God. And right there, Bible verses flood your mind, right? Romans 12, 1 floods your mind, right? Uh, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Not, not part of your life, all of your life, right? Uh, Colossians chapter 1, that he made us uh, for himself in that. And we, we see this is not a, an isolated theme of scripture. Um, Jesus said in, in Luke um, 9, and then he repeats it in chapter 14, he says, if anyone would come after me, he must do what? He must deny himself and take up a cross and follow me. And the idea is your old self dies and now in this new life in Christ, you follow him with all of your mind, soul, and strength. Um, Jesus said, um, or Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that Jesus died so that we who live would no longer live for ourselves but for him. So we, we, are, we are abandoning any other pursuit in terms of an ultimate goal and we are committing our whole life, dedicating our whole life uh, to the Lord. And I, and I think Solomon has a really creative way. You, you appreciate, just as a parent, for those of you parents in the room here, you appreciate his creativity here. Um, sometimes you have to be creative to connect with children, don't you? Because um, we can just bore them to death if we just you know, do something. And, and, and you see something of uh, Solomon's creative ability here as he presents uh, this message to his kids here. So, so let's look here first of all, and, and I don't even remember what I put on the outline. I've got the picture here. Um, yeah, yeah. The first section here, we'll call this the focus. Uh, the focus, and and um, okay. So, um, are young people known for their focus? 
Okay, I see moms elbowing sons here. And Okay, yeah, not usually. At least not when it comes to things that they don't particularly love. But um, so, so this is this is a call, and, and it's a good reminder for you teenagers. It's a good reminder for the old people here, and it's a good reminder for all of us that are training young people as parents or grandparents is the, the repetition, and I'm going to say it again, verse 20, my son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. How many times have we heard that already? It's focus, 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 focus. There are a million and one distractions in the world that are competing for the hearts of our children. And I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I don't know anything about marketing. My, my brother is a marketing and advertising guru, and he understands that world, and, and he's uh, good at what he does. I don't, I don't get that at all. And we were talking the other day about even something as simple. I'll give you, give you an example, okay? I don't want to get off on this, but... Um, how many, how many Facebook? Okay, great, put your hands down. How many Amazon? Okay, and you know, those two, those two companies will rule the world with Google, the unholy trinity, right? It's gonna, uh, have you ever noticed if you're shopping on Amazon for something, you do a search and you're looking for a tool set or something like that, and then you go to Facebook and you're looking at your feed and you will see advertisements from Amazon for those exact things that you search. How many of you have seen that before? Okay. Does that freak you out like it does me? That's eerie. You know, it's like, somebody's watching me, right? And you guys understand, anything, there is nothing you do online that's private. I hope you understand that. There is nothing you do online that is private. That's not the world we live in today. Well, you say, how does that happen? Well, there are, and, and maybe you understand, I don't understand how this works, but the, you know, the, the, the big shots at Amazon got together with the big shots at Facebook and they worked out this, this agreement of marketing genius. And, and it's, it, Google it sometime and then they'll know that you're Googling about them, but when you do that, but read about how it works. It's fascinating from a technological standpoint, from an advertising standpoint, but the point is there are millions and even billions of dollars being spent in all this marketing world because people want your attention. They want you to pay attention to something. They want you to read something. They want you to see something. They want to influence you in some way to buy something or to think something or to do something. And, and all these, all this money is spent to, to, for you, for your eyes to look one moment from your Facebook feed to that advertisement. Okay, And you think that is just one of thousands of examples of how culture is seeking to influence you and particularly to influence our young people. Which means, as the church and as parents, what are we doing? We're constantly directing our, uh, the, the eyes of our children back to things that matter. It's an issue of focus, to stay focused on the things that really matter and not be distracted by these other things. Now, I'm not saying, you know, don't be distracted like Facebook is terrible or Amazon is terrible. What I'm saying is you've got all these distractions and you have to intentionally focus on what really matters. Watch how this develops. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your heart to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Now, now notice here, we see two... Um, well, actually, this is, this is just kind of for free here. Um, you, you literature people will appreciate this. This section starts with an inclusio, which means there's two words, the word incline in verse 20 and the word turn in verse 27. They're actually the same Hebrew word. You say, why would the same word show up in the first part of the section and the last part of the section? 
Well, it sets apart that section as a unit. It's called inclusio. And you'll see all sorts of this sort of thing, uh, both in English poetry as well as, as we see here, in Hebrew poetry. So that's a, little, that's a fun little thing. And, and, and that's great uh, it, for those of you that teach the Bible or study the Bible, because the Bible does things like that to say, here's the section, right? Here, here's, here's the whole section for you to see. Now, what's going on here? Notice the focus. Give attention. Incline. Do not let them depart. Keep them. Uh, the parent is saying again, focus, focus, focus. And you'll notice uh, the two body parts that he says, these are the things that you need to really utilize in your focus. What are they? Incline your... Okay, so your ears. What's the other one? Your eyes. I think it says uh, sight or gaze or something like that. Where does it say that? Yeah, right. Um do, let, do not let them depart from your sight. Literally, do not let them depart from your eyes. You say, why is that important? Okay, just This is not po- just poetry. This is actually really profound if you think about it. What you're looking at and what you're listening to are the main avenues of influence in your life. You see that? And Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, dials into that. And he says, son, tune your ears, incline your ear. That's a Hebrew idiom for pay attention, listen, right? To my sayings, to my words, focus your eyes, focus your sight. Now, now just, just stop and, and, and let's, let's apply that in 21st century American teenage culture. What are some of the visual things that are influences to our kids? TV? Internet, games, each other, advertisements. Have you noticed that all of that is visual? I mean, there was a day back in the 40s when all we had was radio, right? And you had to, you had to tune in. And then they invented the TV, and then the Internet, and then computers, and then smartphones, and then the, the video game console. And think with me, you know, the, the visual entertainment industry is actually less than 100 years old for the most part, right? Other than, you know, like theater, right? Do you see how profound that is? Why does everybody put emphasis on the visual? Why? That's right. A picture's worth a thousand words. The, the, guys, the visual is so influential, isn't it? So influential. And Solomon is writing in the ninth century. There's no I, uh, uh, Wallace. There's no Xboxes here, right? You guys know that. Okay. But anyway, so nonetheless, he he gets the point of the power of the visual here, as well as the power of what we hear. And he says, son, that's where you need to set your focus because your eyes and your ears are the conduit of the majority of influence in your life. So so take that one step further. Let me ask you this. What do you spend most of your time looking at and listening to? Okay, I, I, I did that little exercise with myself this last week. Kind of convicting. Kind of convicting. Um, you will see a direct correlation between what you love, what's important to you, 
what influence is going on in your life and what you look at and what you listen to. Do you see that? I mean, just you can do it now or you can do it later on. Just ponder those connections and see how powerful that connection is. And that's why Solomon says, hey, parent, do you see how big of a deal this is? And, uh, and I'm not saying, you know, this is not like, you know, everything we're doing is terrible. We need to change everything. I mean, certainly there may be some changes, but the point is to see you are, you are as a person, what you look at and what you listen to very much. So that's the connection. And he's saying, make your focus, make your focus, give attention, incline, do not let them depart, keep them, your ear and your eyes, or as the NASB says, your sight. And what are we to set our ears and our eyes on? My words, my sayings, and by context, that's not just fatherly, wise advice. What is that? What what is this man said from the very beginning is the beginning of knowledge. It's the fear of the Lord. It's it's God's word that we're interested in. So it's, it's focus your ears, focus your eyes on the word. That's, that's the, the emphasis. Um, so on your notes here, and we'll get to that in a minute. Okay, so my son, give attention to my words. Incline your heart to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. So you have, the, the picture here is a young person who is focused on the word, who is listening to the word, who is intentional about the word, and, and that, that's, that's a great reminder for all of us. Um, the extent of your walk with God largely follows your eyes and your ears when it comes to the scripture. Welcome to spiritual kindergarten. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's about as easy as it gets, right? What you look at, what you listen to, if the scriptures are the focus, then you expect there's profound influence. But if the scriptures are minimal, if, if other things compete with your eyes or for your eyes and for your ears, and scripture is marginalized, guess what your walk with God looks like? And and and, and as an extension of that, guess what our influence for Christ looks like? So this is really profound stuff here. And in, and in a highly visual and auditory culture, you think this is hard to do? <laughs> this is hugely difficult to do because billions and billions of dollars are being spent to distract you from this. Right? Which means you and I have to fight this with every click, with every turn, with every moment of life. I mean, am I crazy here? Do you feel that like I feel it? Do you feel that draw for your attention nearly around every corner of the culture? All right. So why is this so important? Set your eyes, set your ears on my words, my sayings. It's the scriptures. It's the things of God. Why? Verse 21 tells us what the goal is. The goal is not just knowledge. And it's so important to see this. Look at the end of verse 21. Keep them in the midst of your heart. And that is the goal. The goal is eyes and ears are the conduits by which the word of God comes into and enters and affects the heart. And that is the goal.
Okay, there's a big difference between raising children who can cite Awana verses and children whom God's word has affected in their heart. And, and I love Awana. We do Awana here, okay? That's good and that's important because that's a means to that. But we can't say just knowledge is the end. It's transformation that is the end or the goal of all of those pursuits. Okay, so keep them in the midst of your heart. Uh, the word there, keep, this is interesting, and, and this is going to connect with where this passage goes. Verse 21 actually says, do not let them escape. Isn't that interesting? And we're going to see some language used here that I feel like for my walk with God was really helpful. What is that? Not because of God, not because of the word, not because of some deficiency on the Holy Spirit, but because we are fallen human beings. Listen very closely. The word of God in the heart of the believer has a tendency to want to escape. And you have to do something about it. You have to, like, like a prison guard, keep watch over your heart so that the word that is there, and the longer it is there, the longer it is meditated upon, the more effect it has, the more transformation it has, and you have to guard it and keep it from escaping. Now this is interesting. How does, this is, this is really worth thinking about. What are some ways that the word of God is prone to escape from our hearts? Okay, dwelling in sin, that's good. Okay, not giving it time, just just lack of attention. Okay, that's good. Not practicing it. That's right, not being a doer of the word. Okay, good. Okay, yeah, worry chokes the word, right? Matthew 13, very good. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Have you thought, um, those are all good, how does the culture mainly crowd out the word of God? It competes with it, doesn't it? It marginalizes it as there are more interesting things. There are better things, more awesome things. And I think the average Christian young person would say, well, I know the Bible's important, but there's all this cool stuff that I can set my focus on instead. And so they put their eyes and their ears on those things and the word of God gets marginalized in the heart. Right? I, I think a lot of the word escapes just from the marginalization of the word as cultural things compete with it. But that's what happens. And isn't that interesting? You know, I, I think that the NASB here, um, keep them in the midst of your heart. That's good. But it's don't let them escape. And I don't know if you're, you think about the word of God in your heart being like a prisoner that wants to escape. It almost seems wrong, but that's the metaphor here. And so we have to guard it. We have to keep it. And uh, so the heart is affected. Don't let them escape, okay? So, so on our, our outline here, you got the ears and the eyes focused on the word. Why? Because that affects, the goal is for that to affect what? The heart. Okay, that, that's the real you. And of course, um, here comes this, this very, very famous uh, verse here in a minute. Uh, notice what Solomon says. 
why would you want to keep the word in your heart? Why would you not want to let it escape? Verse 22, for they, meaning the words, the commands, the knowledge, they are life to those who find them and health to the body. And Solomon is going to say this twice. When your ears and eyes are focused on the word and it begins to change your heart, he says it twice here. Those things are your life. Those are life to you. Verse 22. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. It's interesting. Um, you've probably noticed this as you're reading Proverbs. The, the, the Proverbs do not... They don't always separate spiritual life from physical life into nice, tidy buckets. Sometimes it's very clear by context what's intended. But life here, it, it's certainly a spiritual life, right? I mean, you, you can't, you can't know God eternally without knowing His Word and being impacted by His Word. So, so spiritual life too. But, but notice what it's connected with. And health to your body. One of the things we're gonna see in the Proverbs is that walking with God is good for you in eternal life, but walking with God is good for you in this life too. And there are dozens and dozens of positive effects that happen when we walk with God now. And, and young person, that, that's, that's good for you to remember, for you teenagers, because um, so much of the, the turmoil of life that this book is trying to keep you from that comes as you walk with God and take seriously the word of God affecting your heart. It's life, it's healing, it's health to your body. Walking with God, focusing on the word, is good for you both now and in the life to come, is what Solomon is saying. Okay, so, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their body, so, if that's true... If the word of God wants to escape from your heart, you've got all these other things competing, what do you need to do? Verse 23. I'm glad you asked. Watch over your heart with all diligence. It's interesting. Solomon begins this sentence with a word that really is out of place, and it, it's out of place so as to bring emphasis and verse 23 does not begin, it does not begin with watch over your heart in Hebrew. It begins with this phrase, more than everything else, guard your heart. The qualifier is pushed to the beginning of the sentence for emphasis, more than anything. Now, now what have we just looked at? All these other pursuits, all these other things that you can focus on in life, all these other wonderful things in this world, many of which are God's good gifts that he wants us to enjoy, and that's great. But Solomon says to his son, there is one thing that you must pursue above every other pursuit. What is it? Guarding your heart. Watching over your heart. And um, that, that, just, that just made a connection um, for me. I've always taken this verse to mean I should watch over my heart because everything in my life flows out of it. And that's true. But like so many things in Scripture, I missed the connection to the context. Verse 23 goes back to verse 21. The word of God in the heart wants to escape. Don't let it escape. 
You know, I've, I've uh, not been to, uh, never been to a prison, at least uh, like a you know state prison or something like that. But um, I've seen pictures. Do uh, do they have the guards uh, for those prisons? Uh, they, they you know eight to five job, right? And then everybody goes home and they show back up at eight and hope the prisoners are still there. Is that how it works? Right? No, no. It's it's a twenty four hour thing, right? It's it's rotations of guarding because. Those prisoners could escape at any moment. That's, that's the picture here, guys. Now, now, now take that picture and ask yourself the question, how diligently am I watching over my heart? Am I giving the word of God opportunity to escape? Through just negligence. Um. So what do we do? We, with all, with, uh, above everything else, it's, and it's not diligence like consistency, it's, it's more than anything. It's, it's move this pursuit to the top of your list. Guard or keep watch over your heart. Why? Well, because the word wants to escape. Because the word is competing with all these other things, and if you're not guarding your heart, it's not going to stay there very long. That's the implication. So watch over your heart with all diligence. Why? Here's the purpose. For from it flow the springs of life. Everything you do flows from it. So we see out of the heart comes life. Now, um, how many of you have um, New King James? Okay, James, would you please read verse 23 in New King James? Okay, spring the issues of life. Okay, good. Um, anybody have a version that says, um, my version says, from it flow the springs of life. Does anybody have a version that says, um, uh, it's a fountainhead, something like that? Wellspring. Okay. Um, right. Yes. Yes. Uh, Meaning it's more than just coming out of, I mean, it's, it's, there's a, the King James is drawing the distinction between the effect, the, the close connection between the two. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so I've always taken this as having some sort of like water metaphor, right? You know, the heart is the fountainhead and the springs of life, the the rivers of life, the wellspring of life. That actually goes back to the RSV uh, translation. And as best as I can tell, that there's no water metaphor here. But I'll tell you what is, well. I'll, I'll tell you what, what is here, okay? And we'll come back to this in a minute. Um, okay, so I always think of this as mission control, right? Your heart is mission control, right? That's Houston, the new mission control. Um, uh, Terry's going to Russia, so there's the Russian mission control. Um, when I was teaching this in Russia, the, the person translating my PowerPoint translated the pictures from the American mission control to the Russian mission control. That was kind of cool. But that, even that isn't a good, the, the, the metaphor here, the, the word that's used here, and this is so interesting, it's like studying your favorite verse for the first time, right? Um, from it come the exits or the points of departure of life. And I thought, well, what is, what is that? Well, in that culture, a city would have a road, or in some cases, several roads that connected to that city. And I thought, ooh, we've got those today. So check that out. You know what that is? That's about two miles from where I grew up. It's called the Orange Crush. 
in Orange County, California. They call it the Orange Crush because, as you can see, there is lots of traffic intersecting. And uh, you don't want to be the poor guy that lives here. I mean, you really don't because you got the, the 5 and the 57 and the 22 and then the 405 branches off over here. And Anyway, so, okay, the Orange Crush. Um, I, I live, grew up like over here somewhere. Okay, so that, that, that's, you know, normal commute uh, in Southern California. But actually, did you know, you, you think Southern California, L.A. is known for like the craziest freeway experience. And pro- it is in terms of the number of lanes. And I mean, you can land a small airplane sideways on the average L.A. freeway. Um, but actually, do, do you know the city that has the most interstates that connect through it? This is like... I'll, I'll take interstate history for 500, Alex, right? You, um, do you know? What's that? Atlanta. Those are good guesses. Those all got honorable mention. Look at this. Count them. There's eight interstates that connect through that city. I did not expect it to be Baltimore. Okay. So, so what, what you see is, so if, if you live in Baltimore, look, you got 83, 695, 95, and some of you are from this part of the world, so, so can, uh, correct me here because I can't see some of these numbers. 195, 95, 695, 70, 97, and these are just interstates. You look, there's other, there's other, you know, other highways here also. Okay. So what's Solomon saying? Solomon is saying is your heart is Baltimore, right? And you've got all these interstates that flow out into your life and influence everything about you. Okay? That's the point. That, that's actually the metaphor that he uses here. It's not a water metaphor. It, it's a road metaphor. It's an exit ramp. Uh, from it flow all the exits of your life. And, of course, the point is the same. You should. Why should you guard your heart? Because from it arises all the exits of life. Everything you do flows out of your heart. Um, Hold your place there. I know you know these verses, but just hold your place. Um, we need we need the impact of of Jesus um, adding a voice to what Solomon is saying here. Look at Mark chapter seven with me for a moment. Just hold your place there. Turn to Mark seven. Uh, as you're turning, this is the the section where um, the disciples uh, show up and uh, they have not abided by the Pharisee washing rituals. Remember, the Pharisees added rule upon rule beyond the Old Testament scripture. They had these elaborate washing rituals. And um, this is the point where the Pharisees um, are all upset because, the, um, as chapter 7, verse 2 says, they're eating their bread unwashed. And again, just a footnote, this is not a passage on uh, sanitation. This is, a, this is a passage about religious ceremonial cleanliness, okay? So don't freak out saying Jesus doesn't want you to wash your hands with soap before you eat. Okay? That's not what the passage is about, okay? So that, that's the deal, and the Pharisees are all focused on the wrong thing. They're focused on the external ritual, and they ignore what? They ignore the heart. They ignore what's really going on in the person. So he says in chapter 7, verse 14, Jesus says, Listen to me, all of you understand, there is nothing... Outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, the disciples uh, and the crowd later on uh, 
question him, verse 18, he says, Are you so lacking in understanding? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him because it does not go into his heart? And now remember, when the Bible uses the heart, it's, it's that spiritual part of you, right? It, it's the real you. It's not the organ that pumps blood. It's the real person that you are on the inside. But he says, it's not what goes into you that's the problem, because it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and it's eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. That's a whole other sermon for another day. Verse 20, he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications and thefts and murders and adulteries, deceit and coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, <coughs> Envy, slander, pride, and foolishness, all of these evil things proceed from within, and that is what defiles the man. That's the point. Uh, the parallel in Luke 6 says uh, a good tree produces what? Good fruit, bad tree produces bad fruit. What's the connection? Jesus says the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the wicked man out of the evil of his heart brings forth what is evil. And, and he even applies it not just to life in particular, but particularly to our words, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Okay, so, so now we see the heart is the issue, the heart is the real you, set your eyes and your ears on the word of God so that it affects your heart, but you've got all these other things that compete to drown out the word, the word wants to escape, it's like a prison escapee, so you have to guard your heart above everything else, because whatever goes on to your heart happens in your life, your life follows your heart in that regard, okay, make sense? So guard it, like Baltimore. Now, notice how this works. Okay, he's made this guard your heart, watch over your heart. How do you do that? I mean, Jeremiah says, Jeremiah 17 says, who can know the heart? Our hearts are so mysterious and so wicked. How are you going to do this? Do you want some help like I want some help? Well, Solomon doesn't leave his kids hanging. He says, okay, if that's what you want and you understand that we need to watch over your heart because everything in your life flows out of it, so the main thing here then is to guard it, right? Keep it. Watch over it. Okay, how do we do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Solomon tells us three ways. Now, now notice that this is, this is so interesting. He's going to talk about the mouth and your lips. He's going to talk about your eyes and your gaze. He's going to talk about your feet twice. Do you see it? From head to toe, you pursue this. Okay? It's an all-life pursuit. Okay? Uh, back to Proverbs chapter 4, if you haven't already done so. Back to Proverbs 4. Watch how this plays out. He gives us three pursuits to guard your heart, or three three ways that we can implement what we've just learned. Okay, so let's look at those verses together, starting in verse... All right, watch over your heart, verse 23, verse 24. So put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far 
from you. So pursuit number one is to particularly guard your mouth. In fact, the, the text actually says, remove from yourself all falsehood from your mouth. Um, you affect your heart, you guard your heart when you guard your mouth. Makes sense, because Jesus just told us the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So when you start hearing some things come out of your mouth that you know don't honor God, what do you do? You trace those back to your heart and you find the wickedness and the sin that's behind that. Selfishness, anger, fear, uh, envy, bitterness, whatever it is, and you remove it. You get rid of it. And, and like... Uh, uh, like, like doing yard work over the weekend. You, you don't rip it up at the top. You've got to get it all the way down to the root or it just does what? It comes back. Okay? Getting to the root of your spiritual life means you don't just think, I need to learn to talk nice. It's you got to figure out what is in your heart that is driving that sinful speech and pull up that root. And then your mouth will follow. Okay? So... We gotta do some work with our mouth. Remove sinful speech. Notice too, your eyes. Fix your gaze on the word. Look at the next verse. It says, um, in verse 25, let your eyes look directly ahead. Now, what's directly ahead? The Bible uses this. Okay, I'm, I'm supposed to look directly ahead. Okay, I'm not gonna look over here. Not gonna look over here. What is directly ahead? By context, remember verse 21? You've put your eyes on the word. So that's where your eyes are. So now 25 says, now keep them there. You see that? Don't get distracted. Don't look over here. Don't look over here. Keep your eyes on the word. Keep focused. Um, let your eyes look directly ahead. Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. In a culture that is ADD in terms of attention. Solomon says, fix your gaze on the word of God, keep your gaze on the word of God, and do not be distracted by other things. You're beholding him as in the mirror, that's right. That's exactly right, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a set. that would be a great uh, cross-reference there. Okay, so let your eyes look directly ahead, let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. And remember, this is real. If you're gazing at your phone all day, instead of gazing at the Lord and His Word in some way, guess what your life is going to be influenced for? Right? Again, it's it's so simple, but we overlook it because there's so all these cool things, all these wonderful things. And again, many of those are God's good gifts, good blessings. We're not saying you can't honor God and enjoy those things. But where's your focus? Where's your gaze? Verse 26, watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. Now notice your feet. He has a lot to say about feet. And feet, of course, are representative of what? We got eyes and ears. That's about focus. That's about influence. What do your feet represent here? Yeah, what do you actually do? What does your life actually look like? Feet are the metaphor for what you actually do in your life. And he uses a couple of words here. He uses a word uh, in verse 26 that means firm path. It's the wagon track in the road. That's used in parallel with Derek, your ways. Do you see that there? Watch your path. That's the wagon tracks. All of your ways will be established. Pay, this, is, this, is, this is what he's saying. 
pay attention to what you actually do. Step out of your life, as it were, for a moment and examine it like an outside observer. And say, what does my day planner look like? What do my priorities look like? What do my finances look like in terms of what I'm spending my money on? Uh, what do my relationships look like? What does entertainment look like? What, what does my work ethic look like? You know, t- take yourself in hand and evaluate yourself objectively and say, what, what habits, what patterns, what, what, what do I actually see myself doing in life? And, and, and notice what he says here. Once you do that, watch over it. But the word here actually doesn't mean watch, although it's implied. And this is 26, and that's why I had to write this down, because it's really different than what your Bibles say. It's not just watch your path. The word that starts out for 26 literally means remove all hindrances. Isn't that profound? Do you know why we keep doing the same old thing that we shouldn't be doing? Because we haven't taken a step back and said, why do I do that? Oh, that's there, that's there, that's there. Those things are influencing me to keep doing the wrong thing. So Solomon says to his son, figure out what those things are and get rid of them. This is Matthew chapter 5. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. This, this is Hebrews 12. Uh, let us lay aside every encumbrance and, and the sin that so easily entangles and then let's run the race. You've gotta, you gotta remove the hindrances if we're gonna be successful here. And, and so that, that's a great pull the car over moment and just say, do, do we know what those hindrances are? One of the reasons we don't grow is we're not removing the hindrances that make it too hard to overcome those things. You know, I, the Bible tells us how to grow. And sometimes we think Jesus is just going to magically do it inside of me. And you know what? Sometimes he does choose to do that. But you know what the normal way he does, the normal way Jesus changes our life is when we do what he says in the word, trusting his grace and relying on his power. And when we don't remove the hindrances, like we've seen in all these verses, guess what? We don't grow as hard as we try. So we've got to remove those things. Number two, don't turn, I love, or the word distracted, from the right path. Verse 27, do not turn to the right nor to the left. So there's the focus, right? There's the focus. I'm going this way, the way of righteousness. I'm not going to be distracted. Don't go over here. Don't go over here. And finally, remove yourself from all evil. Turn your foot from evil. Do, do you hear? It's like, it's all about your feet, right? I'm going this way. Am I focused on the right thing? I'm removing hindrances. I'm not turning the right to the left. And when I see evil, what do I do? I bail out as fast as I can. I get away from it at all times. And anyway, so, so, so much we could expand on that, but um, th- this is pursuing righteousness from head to toe. It starts with your eyes and your ears, what you're focused on. It affects your heart. And then that plays out into the pursuits of life as we seek to guard our heart. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank, we thank you for your word and pray that these uh, familiar verses would give us new insight and new instruction as we guard our hearts and as we focus on your word as we seek to grow and change. Uh, Lord, help us to really and truly examine our paths and might we remove hindrances and make changes as we Uh, We see so many other things competing for our time and our affection uh, that can drown out the word.
Lord, make us wise. Give us grace to make needed changes and help us to come back and to stay focused on, uh, on what you have us uh, to pursue. In Jesus' name, amen.